Is that really in the Bible? Well, we were all born into a ready-made world of religion. I, uh, I don't think any of us ever questioned it. We, we assume the traditions around us come uh, straight from the Bible. Most people are educated by the Bible, by what they've been told by others. My minister said so. It's the greatest authority they have. Uh, they wholeheartedly put their trust in another's opinion about the Bible. Well, in seminary school, a man or woman is taught a theology about the Bible. It's a uh, set of beliefs that the student assumes is right. We never ask the question, what if there is some error in the things I've been taught about God? And the real problem is, these errors are passed on to the congregation as absolute truth. Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? Question, why do most religious people pick and choose what scriptures they want to believe? Why do most religious people, when it comes to establishing doctrine, pick the most simplistic verses out of the Bible, often called proof texting, to say, okay, this is what the Bible says about, let's say, the law. This is what the Bible says about salvation. And they will choose the most simplistic verse found in the Bible and say, this is all you've got to do to be saved, or this is all you've got to do uh, to believe. Why do religious people pick and choose verses that they will believe, or, or let's say not believe. Now the reason I ask this question is the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now here's what you gotta understand. At the time this scripture was written, there was no New Testament. The only scripture that he's referring to here is the scriptures in the Old Testament. Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So when he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, he's talking about the Old Testament. So, you know, why should I take any set of scriptures and say, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. That's for Israel. That's, that's the old covenant. Why, why would I when, I, when this verse tells me in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it says all scripture is, is given by in the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished into all good works. Why would I negate any scripture? Why would I say, oh, th those scriptures are not for us. It's not for me. It's for somebody else. When your Bible says, no, 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 no. All scripture is given by the inspiration of the word of God. You know, it, now it's one thing for the individual Christian to do this, to pick and choose what verses they will believe. 
But it's another thing altogether when preachers, theologians, are picking and choosing scriptures to establish dogma, to establish doctrine. You would think they would know better, would you not? You would think the theologians, the preachers that dot our land, the 650,000 preachers that dot our landscape in America, you would think they, they would know better that I cannot just pick the most simplistic verses in the Bible and say this is all there is to it. You would think they ought to know better. You would think they ought to know better that you can't establish doctrine. You can't establish dogma, theology, by just picking a few simplistic scriptures. And let me give you an example. The example here is in Romans 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, here's my point. The dogma of salvation has been explained by choosing one simple verse. What verse is it? It's this verse right here, Romans 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, have you ever seen those little tracks that you can, you know, they will go through a few simplistic scriptures and they often they will quote this verse right here. And they say, now, now, call upon the name of the Lord and sign on the dotted line right here and you are saved. Salvation in the world of churchianity, in the world, Christianity has made salvation the easiest thing you will ever do. And it's made it the easiest thing. It's easier than get a, getting a job. It's easier than getting, picking a mate. It's easier than going to college. It's easier than buying a house. It's, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Christianity has made salvation the easiest thing in the world to do. And they have made it so easy by choosing one simple verse. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let's consider something here. All right. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let's take a look at another verse here. Let's take a look at Hebrews 5 and verse 9. And my question is, how come people don't quote this verse when it comes to salvation? Because Hebrews 5 and verse 9 is talking about salvation. It's talking about eternal salvation. And my question is, how come you never heard this verse Quote it when it comes to the subject of salvation. Well, let's read it. And being made perfect, talking about Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation. There's the word, eternal salvation. We're not talking about just salvation. We're talking about eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. How come you never hear this verse quoted? How come you've never heard a preacher quote this verse? How come you've never heard the theologians explain this? And, and my question is, why would you choose one over the other? Why would you choose, oh, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Jesus, here I am. I'm saved. Why would you choose one over the other? Just call upon the name of the Lord versus Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Why would you not choose that one? Now, I'm playing with your mind here, by the way. You know, you, you, you know why you wouldn't choose that when you just don't want to admit it. Okay. Now, if I told you, let's jump to another uh, analogy here. If I told you, you can work hard and have money. 
or the government will give you money. Which one would you choose? Again, if I told you, okay, you can work hard and have money, or the government will give you money. Which one would you choose, and more importantly, why would you choose it? Well, okay, now if we had some honesty, and I'm not expecting anybody to be honest here, but if we had some honesty, I would, a person would say, well, I, I, I really want the government to give me money because I'm, I'm sort of lazy. I don't really want to hold down a job. I don't want, you know, I would rather the, the government give me money and then I can do whatever I want to do all day long. Sit on my butt, watch soap operas, whatever, you know, gain a lot of weight, up to three, four hundred pounds. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Eat, eat all the time and let the government give me money. Now, no one's going to admit this. No one's going to say that. But, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm trying to get you to think something that most people just don't want to do. Especially religious people. Religious people refuse to think, most of them. They just don't want to think. But I'm trying to get you to think here. So we come to this verse, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're comparing it to another verse that talks about salvation in Hebrews 5 and verse 9. It says, Jesus being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And we're asking the question, why would you choose one scripture over the other? What inside of you wants to believe that salvation is the easiest thing that all you got to do is just say, Jesus, and you're saved. I'm calling upon Jesus, and you're saved. Why would you want to choose that versus this other verse that says, no, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto a specific group of people, the ones who are willing to obey him. Now, could it have anything, do you think, to do with the fact that maybe there are people out there, maybe there are religious people. Now, I'm, just, I'm just speculating. I'm just speculating. I'm probably wrong. But I'm just speculating, speculating that there may be some, maybe just one or two, religious people out there who really don't want to obey God, but they want to be saved. Yeah, that's it. I really, in fact, I'm thinking on the lines of, I'll wait until I'm old and ugly and my body's wearing out, and when I'm lying in the hospital, I will call a minister to come by and save my soul and say a sinner's prayer over me. Yeah, that's what I'll do, because that, that's easier. I'll call upon the name of the Lord when I'm ready to kick the bucket. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, let me tell you something. You will never have real salvation until you discover your own heart. Now, what do I mean by discover your own? You've you got to be honest with God. When God was calling me, he reveals certain, he gave me certain convictions about the Sabbath, about the holy days. And I didn't want to do any of those things. And I told God, God, I don't want to do any of those things. They're, they're mosaic. They're Jewish. They're, you know, they're, they're for Israel only. They're not for us. They're for somebody else. That's old covenant. We got the new covenant. And Jesus did away with all that. And, but you know, it was discovering my own heart and admitting, admitting to God, God, I really have this heart problem and I don't want to do the things you're telling me to do. 
Now, I figured eventually that God already knows that, that he's smart enough to already know my heart, so I might as well just admit to him the truth. You know, it's like, God, I would rather the government give me money. Well, God already knows that. I mean, he already knows your heart. If that describes you, now, I'm not saying all of you are like that. Some of you have been brought up with a good work ethic and you, you have learned the reward that, it, that what a great feeling to, do, to work hard and to do something well done and to get paid for it. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, to discover one's heart, God, I just want to call on your name and be saved. Because I really, Lord, I don't want to do the things that you're asking me to do. I mean, I've read some, I mean, God's sort of a harsh God. You read through the Old Testament and some of the things that he said. And, and I really don't want to do a lot of the things that you're telling me. And I would rather just, just, just believe that all I got to do is call on Jesus. You know, you will never have real salvation until you honestly admit where your heart is at. Now, where is your heart? Well, let's take a look at Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 that reveals where most people's hearts are at. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, my question, though, is this. Why, would the, why theologians don't take and consider this when it comes to the issue of the subject of salvation? That when you're trying to introduce people to salvation, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart will always choose the easy way out. The carnal mind will always choose whatever the simplest. If you present two options, one that says just believe, the other says no, uh, Jesus became the author of eternal, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Well, the carnal mind, the wicked heart will always choose the easiest uh, uh, option that is out there. You cannot just preach, just, believe, just, get, just call upon the name of the Lord. You can't. And I sometimes wonder, you know, why do, why do preachers do this? You know, why do they, don't they know better than that? Don't they know better than that? Now, when it comes to salvation, you don't want to play games with the most important subject in the Bible, your own personal salvation. Why would any preacher proof text one verse, one scripture, and say, just call upon the name of Jesus and you shall be saved? Why would a preacher do that and say, that's all you have to do? Well, I say I don't know why a preacher would. Actually, I do know why. The preacher is ignorant. That's why. It, that may be the only scripture that preacher knows. You know? You ever thought about that? That may be the only one he knows about salvation. Just call upon the name of Jesus. He's ignorant. He doesn't know what else the Bible says about the subject. Again, why do people pick and choose the scriptures that are the easiest to believe in? Especially when it comes to a subject like salvation. Salvation, wouldn't you want to know for sure what the Bible says about salvation? Shouldn't we know for sure what the Bible says about salvation? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says about how to study the Bible. Isaiah 28 and verse 9 it says, whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? All right, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, you've got to have some kind of maturity level before you actually understand doctrine. 
you can't just have an emotional religion where you go to church, raise your hands up, sing in the choir, and, and shout out amen and stuff like that. No, you've got to have some kind of maturity level about you before you can understand doctrine. You've got to study your Bible. Continuing on in verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, uh, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now this is a how we are to study. You don't take one scripture to prove anything. It's got to be precept upon precept, line upon line, here, there, and yonder. You put it together to create a tapestry, a bigger picture of what the Word of God says. That's how you study the Bible. So let's notice it again. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now let's consider another verse that people often use here to where they pick and choose. Matthew 22 and verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, this is how I've heard this verse explained by religious people. You see, they'll say, you see, there's only two verses that Jesus ever mentioned in the New Testament, and that is these two verses, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Only two commandments. And for most religious people, it's up to them to figure out how to do that. It's up for me to figure out how do I love my neighbor and how do I love God. That's the illusion. Now, you know, here, here's the thing. Unbelievers want a simple faith. Why would the carnal mind do this? Well, it's very simple, you know, it's, it's because we want to have the answer. We don't want God defining stuff for us. We want to define the stuff for ourselves. Now, here's the, the, the crazy thing about all this is that what Jesus is actually doing here, what people overlook is this. Jesus is just summarizing the Ten Commandments here. Uh, he, he's not saying, well, just love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor, and you figure out how to do that on your own. No, he's just summarizing the, the, the Ten Commandments. The first four tell us how to love God. Never have any other gods. Never make any graven images. Uh, never use God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Six days shall you labor, but the seventh is a Sabbath day. Okay, the first four tells us how to love God. The last six... Honor your father and mother, never murder, never commit adultery, never steal, never lie, never covet something that is not yours. Your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's land or property or home, don't covet. The last six tells us how to love our fellow man. So Jesus is just summarizing the Ten Commandments here. But again, why do we pick and choose the most simplistic verses found in the Bible? Because unbelievers want a simple faith. You know, there's a reason Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Well, let's go back to this verse and explain it. Romans 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, the verse doesn't stop there. It continues on. And in order to really believe in Jesus, these conditions must follow. It doesn't stop with just call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. There is an explanation of what that means. All right, let's continue on in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? So in order to believe in, to call upon Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus. 
Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, let me give you an illustration here. I believe in trees. I believe in that big oak tree that I see maybe in my yard or wherever it's at, you know. But I believe in trees. Now, what do I believe about trees? Well, I believe I have a relationship with them to a large degree because trees put off fresh oxygen. They take in carbon dioxide. It's called the process of photosynthesis, you know. And, 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 and so because if you cut down all the trees in the world, we could not live. There would be not enough fresh oxygen. So in a way, I believe in, in that big oak tree because in a way I have a relationship with it. I'm dependent on it and it's dependent on me. That's relationship. Also, that tree has a certain amount of authority. You know, uh, it has a certain amount of authority. If I get in my car and get up to 60 miles an hour and I run into that tree, it's not going to be good. I have respect for that tree because that tree has a certain amount of authority. And so my point is this. You cannot just say, oh, I believe in Jesus if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and if <clears throat> your, your, your Christ doesn't have any authority in your life. If, you, if Jesus cannot tell you what to do. I don't care how much you say you believe in Jesus, you're not saved. That's the bottom line. Alright, continuing on. And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? In order to believe in Jesus, you've got to hear about the real Jesus. Most of you have been told some Betty by story about the Christmas Jesus. Little babe in the manger. I mean, we can't even get the birth of Jesus, right. Let me tell you about the birth of Jesus. Revelation 12 and verse 2 says, And she, being with child, travailed in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, this was all happening on the night Jesus was born. You've probably never heard this Christmas story. I mean, there's a, a, an incredible battle going on the night Jesus was born. One Christian author said, this was no silent night. And besides, Jesus was not, not even born on December 25th. He was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ tabernacled with mankind in the flesh. You, oh, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you've never heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? Where have you been all this time? In church? Oh boy. Okay, another thing about Jesus that you've got to know, you can't call upon Jesus unless you know who the real Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Most people don't understand this. Most religious people don't understand this. That the instrument the Father used to do all things, including give the law, speak to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, part the Red Sea, flood the whole entire earth, was none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. And so when people start talking about, well, the law, Jesus nailed the law to his cross. Well, no, Jesus didn't nail his own law. He didn't abolish his own law. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Continue on and says, and how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? Have not heard, excuse me. Now, most of you have heard about a Jesus, a Jesus that abolished his father's commandments. Most of you have heard about a counterfeit Jesus. Yeah, hippie, vagabond, long hair, you know, 
beating off people, living off the government, whatever. You know, that's the Jesus that most people have heard about. Continuing on, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? In order to hear God's message, the message that God wants you to hear, the preacher has to be sent. And I'm saying most of them are not sent, is what I'm saying. There are 650,000 preachers out there in America. It is absolutely impossible for a man to make the decision to go to seminary school and become a preacher. And yet people do this all the time. Why? Because it's a lucrative business. You can make it pretty easy work and you can get a steady income. God has to send the preacher. You don't need seminary school. You need the Bible and the Spirit of God is what you need. But you have to be sent. In a way, you have to be commissioned against your will. Now, why would I say that? Well, just look at the example in the Bible. Jonah was commissioned against his will. He ran away from the commission. Moses said, send somebody else. Elijah said, take my life. And, you know, it's not worth it. Noah preached 120 years and had seven or eight converts. Do you think Noah liked building the ark knowing that 99.9% .9 of humanity was going to die? These people were sin against their will. You have to, you know, that's one of the ways you identify a, a sent preacher. They are sent against their will. It's not something, oh boy, I get to be a preacher. Oh boy, I get to get behind the pulpit and preach to people. No, it's not like that at all. Again, why do religious people pick and choose the scriptures they want to believe? Romans 10 verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or... You have the scripture that says, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Actually, these two verses work in harmony together. It's all a part of the salvation process. But why would religious people pick one over the other? Well, let me just tell you the answer. Because religious people don't want to obey God. That's the answer. And that's the reason this world is in the mess that it is in. You know, you can blame government. You can blame non-believers. You can blame the atheists. Or you can look in the mirror and blame religious people for their false theology that doesn't even lead to real salvation. Well, I'm David Freeman. And remember, I just told you what's really in your Bible. Statistics say that 84% of Americans believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, and 74% confess commitment to Him. On the surface, according to these statistics, it would seem we are a Christian nation. The real question is, why don't we act like a Christian nation? Could it be that somebody is deceived? The Bible, the Word of God, makes a mind-boggling statement. It says, the devil deceives the whole world. Deception, then, is to be found in every avenue of life. Can we conclude that the whole world is deceived, but not Christians? The whole world is deceived, but not the preachers. The whole world is deceived, but not politicians. The whole world is deceived, but not the government. The whole world is deceived, but not me. Jesus Christ said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
The only remedy for deception is truth. Not perceived truth, but absolute truth. The truth that comes from the Word of God. Freedom from deception. The truth. Don't be another statistic of deception. Order your free magazine entitled Deception. Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.